is Ronaldo! Oh my goodness! You don't save those! Out of this world! Messi! 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 Landon Donovan, there are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross, and Dempsey is denied again, and Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA! Certainly through! Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! For the fourth time, the United States of America are crowned champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. The more things change, the more they stay the same. The U.S. and Mexico finish goalless in a draw in Estadio at Teca down in Mexico in the first of three final World Cup qualifying matches Keenan Troy Nick Guzman and the Oracle James Burley who predicted a nil nil result thank you last night gentlemen before we break down a loaded match and you know some other results happening around CONCACAF how are we doing on this fine Friday I'm doing pretty good Keenan the heart rate's calmed down since yesterday I was very wound up during that game because I really felt like we should have won it we could have won it but you know in the grand scheme of things nil nil not a bad result especially when you take into account the other games that happened. I'm a little calmer now. I feel more confident that we're qualified, but still huge game against Panama on Sunday. Yeah, um, definitely less tense than uh, 24 hours ago uh, when we tried to record. And, well, we all know how that went, but we'll save that for the listener. Yeah, definitely feeling better today. Um, excited going into Sunday instead of dreadful going into uh, yesterday night. Um, looking forward to the rest of the matches and looking forward to talking today. Yeah, boys, definitely calm down, I think. By the time the Elite Eight matchups are done tomorrow in hoops, I'm going to wake up Sunday just feeling as gross as I did yesterday in terms of dreading watching 90 minutes of soccer in the best kind of way. Obviously, a nil-nil draw in Mexico is something that the United States could live with. Obviously, you know they still control their own fate, which is exactly what they want. Probably biggest match is that one against Panama where they'd need pretty much a shambolic collapse in order to be relegated to the fourth spot. Me and Nick crunch the numbers. If they beat Panama, at the bare minimum, they're going to play New Zealand to get into the World Cup. So win at home on Sunday in Orlando against Panama. We'll see the United States at least have one more match to be played to qualify for the World Cup. Obviously, we don't want that because we've seen what they've needed to do in matches where they need a result to get into the World Cup a la 2018, a la Trinidad, and that was... Bad memories. That's, yeah, we're, we're going nope. to steer, steer clear of that in a stress-inducing week because why ruin our morale any more than it was watching that Mexico versus USA game? Because, Nick, you said it best, this game was United States to win. Mexico dominant in possession. Didn't really matter. The United States had the better of chances. You know, we see this lineup. We see Stefan start in goal. We speculated it yesterday, gentlemen. You know, he wasn't really tested. I think he did a really good job commanding his box. I think he's obvious I think he's the number one going forward. You know, Matt Turner, when he's fully fit, that may be a question mark, but I think at least in the near future we can expect to see Stefan in the back. And then Walker Zimmerman, 
and Anthony Robinson, in my opinion, they need all the praise of that back line because they do such a good job. Anthony Robinson is so good going forward, and then Walker Zimmerman is emerging into, you know, obviously there's a plethora of guys on this team that can get the captain armband. He truly commands from the back and makes sure that entire line is cohesive. They did a really good job with DeAndre Yedlin starting because I think DeAndre Yedlin's days of soccer brilliance are behind him. He's just filling in for Serginio Dest. But Zimmerman does a great job controlling that back line. And then Kellen Acosta, hats off to him. He put in an absolute shift in the midfield, a role that, you know, he stepped up into. He had that one free kick from, what, like 35 out that he put on target. And I was just like, that was actually a decent hit, Kellen Acosta, from the MLS lad himself. And then Pepe, Pulisic, and Wea start. All three get subbed off eventually. But I think the biggest storyline was that Gio Reyna is back. And, you know, Twitter was hot and bothered watching that run through the midfield that he made. Oh, yeah. How good can this team be with a healthy Gio Reyna, boys? Because I think the sky's the limit depending what role they use him in. I think if he plays in the midfield, obviously when McKinney's healthy, it's not likely, but I could see him being kind of like a false nine for this team and just build with the wings. And we saw him yesterday in transition through the midfield. He's looking to get back into 100% form, and when he's there – he is someone that can just take this United States men's national team to the next level. We saw yesterday the flash and that beautiful run by Reyna about what he can do when he's healthy and what this team has missed since September with him on the sidelines with the hamstring injury. I think Gio Reyna is really the only person on this U.S. roster, in this U.S. pool, this could be a bit of a hot take, that a, a club could really build around in Europe. I think Gio Reyna is the most talented in, in the pool, and I think... A fully healthy Gio Reyna on the wing or in the midfield. I'd still like to see Greg try him out in an attacking midfield role. I don't think it's going to happen just because of the way the system's played. And, you know, Gio has a little bit of attacking flair, so that means, of course, he has to play on the wing in this system that, that Bearhalter currently employs. But I think we saw yesterday, I think he got a little bit of a bad, you know, shake of things. Him coming on was kind of at the same time as we were bunkering down, sort of to try and hang on for the draw after making some defensive subs, bringing on Eric Palmer-Brown and Aaron Long. So he's really the only attacking force going forward, and he made stuff happen. And I'm excited to watch Gio, you know, in the future, and I think he'll definitely start on Sunday. You know, he got 90 minutes under his belt in the Bundesliga before the international break. Now Tim Way is out with red car- or yellow card accumulation, rather. So I think it makes sense for Gio to start on the right against Panama, and I'm excited to see what a full 90 minutes looks like in the U.S. shirt. Yeah, because of the way a yellow card situation specifically, Reyna's probably going to start on one of the wings. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a guy like Paul Areola get a nod against Panama just because, you know, he's got a full tank in him. And uh, people always talk about how much playing at Estadio Azteca drains you, especially if you go the full 90. I'm not thrilled about that, but I do think he's good enough to get a job done against a team like Panama. As for Reyna, though, I would love to see him play in the middle because you talked about that run, Keenan. That started from the top of his own box. If you get him on the ball more in the middle of the field, he's, there's so much damage that he can do. There's only so much you can do from the wing. He's the kind of player that you want to be your creator, not to necessarily be your finisher. Um, and I think he would be better uh, suited to help this team, even with Bearhalter's system, Nick, that you mentioned, that kind of forces our most creative players to the wings just out of necessity. But I do think he would be b- better in a role in the midfield. Can you just imagine a midfield of Adams, McKenney, and Reyna? Like that's every ground is getting covered, balls are being won, and you've got guys like McKenney and Reyna to unlock the defense. 
to me, that sounds like a really, really dangerous team that I wouldn't want to play against. I know McKenney's injured now, but just looking forward, that would be something I think Bearhalter should definitely consider. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Walker Zimmerman and Anthony Robinson, Keenan, because um, Walker Zimmerman continues to be excellent. I thought every defender who stepped on for the U.S., even DeAndre Yedlin, had a decent enough showing. Yedlin wasn't perfect, but uh, Robinson and the two Robinsons, Miles and Anthony, and Walker Zimmerman were great. Uh, Long and Eric Palmer Brown came on, did their jobs. Uh, the New York Red Bulls fan in me almost shed a tear when Long subbed on for Tyler Adams. That was maybe my favorite moment of the match. I just wish they shared the field together a bit more. But yeah, overall, decent performance, good result, especially considering the history at Estadio Azteca. Still looking to get that first win. I thought it was going to be last night. Um, P. Fox should have had one. Pulisic should have had one. Musa could have had one. Um, but yeah, going into Panama, this group should be confident, and a win should be enough to get us into at least fourth. But can you just imagine if we end up finishing fourth and we have that one-off game in Qatar against New Zealand? The feeling, the feelings that we felt going into the Mexico game are going to be quadrupled. It's going to be so anxious. We have to, we have to do a good enough job. And maybe if result goes one way, the other Costa Rica drops points, we qualify automatically in the top three, and that would be a great way to end this weekend because I don't know if I can take any more nerves. Yeah, and before we jump into you know breaking down the other matches from yesterday, we saw Canada drop points. Um, I think we need to talk about one thing and one thing only, and James, you just mentioned it, is first, Ochoa, for some reason, anytime he plays the United States, decides he wants to return to his World Cup of 2014 form, which is exceptionally annoying just because there's been questions, you know, in the Mexican camp if he's the goalie going forward. And it's seemingly always when the United States is, you know, his matchup that he decides he wants to play exceptionally well. He had a plethora of good saves, you know. Should Pulisic have scored on that cutback? Absolutely. Ochoa does well to get across and blocks it with his body. Really a poor finish by Pulisic, but... Nonetheless, it's a solid save. Makes that really good save on Musa low to his left. And then early in the second half, he makes a good save on Pulisic again, tipping it over the crossbar and eventually going out for a corner. But the biggest concern is, yes, Ochoa played a good game, but the truth of the matter is there's better goalies out there than uh, Ochoa, who's well past his prime in terms of consistency. And it's another question for this United States men's national team is, can they find that final switch within you know the final third of their opponent's to score creative goals. And I think we saw, you know, that PFOC goal was exceptionally missed. Excuse me, that PFOC miss was exceptionally heartbreaking because it was everything the United States had missed. It was a good ball in. Gio Reyna's in the right position. He cuts it back to PFOC, who's unmarked within 8 to 10 yards, and he somehow hooks it terribly wrong, gets his finish completely completely messed up, and it ends up being a throw-in for the Mexican national team. And, you know... That, for me, was shades of Wondolowski a la Belgium 2014. Oh, no. That I mean, it was that, it was that degree of a miss. But I think the question still remains for this United States men's national team is, do they have a true goal scorer? Because, you know, we saw Pepe go into really good form when he first got called up to the men's national team, and then he struggled to find his footing in the Bundesliga, and that may carry over to, you know, some mental yips playing for the national team. You know, Jesus Ferreira... We saw him with a hat trick. He doesn't play last night. I th- still think there's some questions to be asked about the finishing. And, you know, I think that's where the United States is the weakest in terms of, you know, creativity going forward. As good as Christian Pulisic is, I still don't think he's a guy that can completely take over, you know, three defenders one on one. Maybe Gio Reyna can develop that when he gets fully fit. But 
from the Pfockness to the Pulisic lousy finish, Ochoa playing incredible. It was just it just felt like it was never going to be a game where the United States was going to get on the board, especially after that Pfockness. I think a lot of men's national team fans have realized this for a while. We have a true number nine problem, and. You know, there's talented guys in there. Ricardo Pepe. Where think, oh where is Josh Sargent? You think exactly. You think Ricardo Pepe's the savior when he comes up in September and October and he's scoring goals and then he goes on a goal drought. But you can't, you know, put your whole attack in the hands of an 18 year old. That's just not going to happen. You need to have more depth. You think of other guys: Jossie Zardes, Daryl DK, Pifok, Josh Sargent, not called in. None of these guys really would strike fear into the heart of a defense. And I think. Um, when you think of somebody like Josh Sargent not getting a call-up, he struggled a bit with North City, but you have to consider he's playing with probably the worst team in the Premier League. Not much attacking talent, not much going on going forward. So you have to take that into consideration. I would like to see Sargent get another look just purely because no one else has grabbed the job. But I think if a pure goal scorer, we've been saying this for years really, somebody you know, in, in, cl- in club play, somebody will score a couple goals, Daryl DK will score a couple goals, Pfock will score a couple goals. Everyone's like, okay, call that guy in. He gets called in. He doesn't perform. And you rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. You mix and match. And it just has not worked. I think that's the glaring kind of hole in this setup right now is that there's no one that can score goals. At, like you mentioned, James, in defense, Walker Zimmerman, Miles Robinson, Anthony Robinson, Yedlin, Dest when he's fit, rock solid, Stefan and Nett solid. I like the names in the midfield. Very solid, even on the wings. It's just... There's really no one up front that can, that I'm confident in to score chances consistently, and that's a big problem. I think for Greg heading into Qatar, assuming we qualify this summer in the Nations League, that's where you got to really try and figure out who your nine is going to be. For Greg, I think it's probably still Ricardo Pepe. He had some good link-up play today. The goals aren't coming, but I think he you know, worked for the team better than PFOC did. Pepe was pressing more than PFOC was. PFOC, I think, looked a little lazy when he came on which kind of rubbed me the wrong way considering you haven't called up in a long time. You're subbed on at the Azteca in a nil-nil game, and you just don't really seem that interested. But I think if Pepe continues to work hard for the team, he's a talented enough player that goals will come eventually. I think Greg's trusting in that. But right now, I wouldn't be shocked if someone like Jesus Ferreira got the start against Panama just to switch things up. But it's a real problem for this team right now, and it's definitely the, the biggest hole in this unit. I think um, for the Panama game, the biggest hole in the unit, just just in the one-off, is going to end up being um, right back. Because Shaq Moore just got called Shaq in. Shaq Moore getting called in. A lot of people are livid about that. People saying, why not Joe Scally? Why not um, Brooks Lennon, even? And I'm not as fussed with the Shaq Moore call-in because he's someone who's been introduced to the national team within the last year, and Joe Scally really hasn't. Uh, Moore was with that Gold Cup team. Um, so that's going to be a concern, but I'm not incredibly concerned about it. Shaq Moore last played away against Panama and was kind of terrible. So this is a good shot at redemption for him, and I'm excited. I hope he gets up for the performance, and I think he will, knowing what's on the line for the team that if they win, they could qualify on the day in at home in front of their fans, and that would be a great moment considering what happened f- four and a half years ago uh, in Cuva, Trinidad. But I think, yeah, striker is a long-term problem for sure. Um, I do think it's going to be Ferreira to start tomorrow. I think he'll perform fine. I think he's good at linking up play in ways that he's not as good as Pepe, but certainly better than Pifok. 
I think he's so good at getting into the middle and turning with the ball, which is something we haven't really had from a striker in a while, although I still have reservations about his ability to finish. But moving forward, there are still so many names that could, you know, reemerge back into the fold for striker. Like, you mentioned a lot of players weren't even called in, and you still didn't even get to around to saying Matthew Hoppy or, like, Nicholas Giacchini. Like, I know though those guys probably aren't going to end up being the striker moving forward, but guys like Josh Sargent and Daryl DK, who aren't even with the squad, could, you know, eventually fill that void, and it certainly is a void for the U.S. Scoring goals still eludes us quite a bit. I think we... Well, the most goals we scored in a game in this qualifying cycle was that 4-1 win against Honduras, and Honduras has a habit, or they did until last night, of thank God for that, by the way, of just rolling over in games. Uh, last night, they actually decided, we're going to play soccer this, this time around. Um, they didn't do that against us both times we played them. They did it against Panama and helped Panama drop points at home for us, which was great. I'm still confident in whoever the striker is going to be, um, I still think it's maybe worth a shot trying Jordan Morris. I know you don't love him, Keenan, but he's an option that he could play as a striker, even Tim Weah. I know he's not available, but we have depth on the wings now where we can cover a guy like Tim Weah to play down the middle or Jordan Morris to play down the middle. I still think it's worth a shot. I don't think they're going to be the best thing since sliced bread, but there are new avenues we can explore, um, and hopefully, should we qualify knock on wood, we use the Summer Nations League as a real chance to experiment with that. Yeah, and I think, you know, obviously I'm not big on Jordan Morris. I'm not big on Jordan Morris when he comes in to replace, you know, like for like a Pulisic or a Wea as he did last night. And, you know, my only issue with that is it's just him off the bench in that role, filling in shoes that he's not equipped to fill in. The Just the chemistry and the flow of this, you know, the style. I don't think Burhalter can expect the same tempo to be played at. When you know you get someone like Jordan Morris, who's who's a fine soccer player for an MLS, but he's not on the caliber of a Wea, a Pulisic, a Reyna, any, anyone. So I think I'm I'm fine with him playing in the nine, just because for you know lack of a better way to say this, no one else has stepped up in that role, so he has a claim to that just as legitimately as any other striking you know striking option that the United States men's national team has. The U.S. weren't the only team in competition though in Concacaf last night as. James mentioned Panama drops points at home versus Honduras, a 1-1 draw. But the real eye-turner for me was that Costa Rica 1-0 win at home against Canada. Canada goes down to 10 men early in the first half with Kay getting sent off with two reds. I caught the highlights. The first one, in my opinion, should have been a straight red. It was a high tackle on the shin. VAR says no. He picks up a second one, you know, really, in my opinion, undisciplined soccer, you know, gets burned, you know, three, four minutes beforehand, no foul called. He goes and puts a shoulder into the Tico's midfielder, and he sees double yellow. But what was really impressive was the second half display from Canada. Jonathan David hits the post in the 83rd. Tejan Buchanan hits the crossbar after Kaylor Navis made a big save. So obviously, you know, it's huge for the U.S. that the Canadians drop points because with their draw and Mexico's draw, now they only sit three points behind the Canadians who have a chance win or draw at home on Sunday against Jamaica to secure a World Cup position for the first time in forever for them. But for the United States, you know, them only being three points ahead, now you have a legitimate chance of winning CONCACAF, you know, if you handle your business against Panama 
and then whatever happens against Costa Rica happens, but you have a legitimate chance to go top of this group, which would be impressive with how dominant Canada's looked the entire time, but also just, you know, bodes well for everyone's confidence in terms of, you know, obviously Nations League this summer, but you finish top of CONCACAF to make a statement that this group has it within themselves to be the best in their qualification bracket. So with Canada dropping points, Costa Rica picking up all three, Panama dropping, the CONCACAF table sits at this. Canada currently in first with 25 points, two matches to go. Everyone has two matches to go. I'm not even going to repeat it, two matches to go. So Canada with 25 points, USA and Mexico after that draw, both level on 22. Costa Rica three behind with 19, and Panama holding on for dear life with 18. Kind of talked about it before. Panama's in a got to win out, so that's what makes that game against the United States on Sunday so daunting is the fact that Panama has to play to stay alive and go to back-to-back World Cups, which for their emerging program, they really want to try to do. Costa Rica's in a little bit better of a situation. You know, they played the United States the last match day, but they play El Salvador on the road in El Salvador, which might be a trap game for the Ticos. I'm not entirely sure. But if they get a result, they'll pretty much guarantee that they're finishing in the top four. Then it will all come down potentially to that last match day between the United States and Costa Rica in terms of who's going to finish where. Gentlemen, as we look you know, to Sunday, Canada at home versus Jamaica at BMO Field, anticipating a sellout up in Toronto as the Canadians look to get to the World Cup. Obviously, the United States at home versus Panama. El Salvador taking on Costa Rica. And then Honduras versus Mexico. We've covered the United States and Panama pretty extensively in terms of what we expect. I personally think, you know, that Honduran team showed up against Panama on the road. And now they're playing Mexico at home. I wouldn't be surprised if El Chiri runs into a little problems in Honduras. You know, maybe not dropping points per se, but I definitely think this isn't going to be a cakewalk for them. And, you know, we talked about what playing at uh, La Azteca, the implementation, implications it has on the individual player for the United States side. It's also important to realize that it goes double for the Mexican national team as well, and they've got a real tough one against Honduras on the road in Honduras. So I wouldn't be surprised if Mexico doesn't show up for the first half. Honduras maybe gets an early lead, and all of a sudden Mexico's scrambling to, you know, at least get some points to stay alive because if they lose points to Honduras, Panama, even with a loss to the United States, still very much could be alive looking at fourth place. In my head, I haven't even like been considering the possibility that Mexico doesn't qualify, even though they're level on points with us. We're ahead of them in the table. I'm just kind of assuming that they're going to take care of business because that's kind of what they always do. When you look at their play as a whole in this, you know, in this in this qualifying group, Mexico has not looked good. Every game I've watched, they have really, really have not looked good. At home, they've struggled. They've got some late goals to get some home results. They've got some late goals on the road to get some good results. They've kind of hung around with some teams. The U.S. beat them at home. But I don't think Mexico looked good at all yesterday against the United States. And I'm with you, Keenan. I think this could be a game where Mexico <laughs> just does not show up, and it's a trap game, and Honduras comes out firing, and maybe Mexico cleans it up in the second half. Maybe they don't. But I think that's definitely not a game that we can overlook. I think the real interesting note about that Sunday slate of games is the El Salvador-Costa Rica is, you know, a 5.05 start. USA-Panama is a 7 o'clock start. So say Costa Rica drops points, and then the situation, the U.S., all the players will know. It's winning, we're in, and that's it. I think 
I think Costa Rica will get three points in El Salvador just because of what they're playing for. I think they played all right against Canada. I was really impressed with the way the Canadians kind of held in there against Costa Rica, even down to 10 men. You know, to me, I've just kind of, there's some part of like my subconscious thinking that Canada are just kind of frauds and not really legit, but they keep proving it again and again that they're they're here to stay at the top of CONCACAF. I think they'll take care of business against Jamaica. But I think Costa Rica-El Salvador is going to be a close game. You know, when we w- went down to El Salvador in the opening round of the qualifiers, nil-nil draw, you know, El Salvador being eliminated, possibly the atmosphere won't be, won't be as intense. But I think Costa Rica has definitely got their plate full. But I think if it's, if it's a situation where Costa Rica ends up dropping points and then the U.S. against Panama, the American players will know three points gets us to Qatar no matter what. That's the situation I want. I think that's a situation that's likely. But also you have to brace yourself for the fact that Costa Rica are not going anywhere. They could roll over El Salvador and then, you know, you've got work to do against Panama and then you've got work to do in San Jose. I, I think for every time we mention Costa Rica's team aging, we also have to mention with that that their experience uh, is invaluable. They've been in this situation before. They've clawed their way into World Cups, um, I believe, three in a row now, oh six or four in a row, sorry. Uh not including 2010, they didn't qualify. Um, I think they're going to win three points in Elsa. I don't. I think they know what's on the table. I think. I think Mexico is also going to pick up points. Um, I we've seen Mexico drop points away to Honduras in qualifying before 2017. It was part of the dumpster fire that saw the U.S. get knocked out. They blew a lead against Honduras in uh, San Pedro Sula. I do think that the pa- they've hit the panic button now, though. They know what they have to do as well. Almost, they, they're panicking more than we are, which, again, makes me happy. But Costa Rica, on the other hand, uh, and I mentioned this yesterday, when Kaylor Navas is in goal, they've only lost one game in qualifying, and it was on a late penalty to Mexico. I, I, th- I don't think that I, – I, I can't see a way where they don't get all three points. Um, looking ahead, I think they're going to be in it to win it to the final whistle. I think Canada also um, – the way they they were kind of – uh, screwed by that really shocking second yellow call on Mark Anthony K, and they were still dominant with ten men. They had like seventy percent possession and a bunch of shots on goal. But again, Kaylor Navas stood tall. Costa Rica hung in there the way that they have done in uh, qualifying in the last few cycles, where they load up at the back and absorb pressure and try to hit them on the counter because they know how to do that stuff because they have players who've been in and around Concacaf, excuse me, for so long and have done well. But Canada, I think, with John Herdman's influence on that team, their mentality is fantastic. I think they're going to come away from the Jamaica game with all three points. I think we're going to see um, all the all the favorites win in match day 13 just because they all have so much to play for and because I, I, I've grown to expect the U.S. to not um, await for results on the other end because of what happens historically. And that, that also ties into Mexico as well, because they remember the 2014 cycle where they blew it uh, and finished on 11 points. Graham Zussi. Gra- San Zussi, south of the border. Um, I, I, I feel like I, I, I try to bring that up to Mexican fans more often, and then they go, yeah, we still qualified. And it's true, but they had 11 points in 2014 and qualified. We had 12 points in 2018 and didn't qualify. I'm bitter about it, but the history shows that Mexico, U.S., they don't have time to rest. They have to keep going. Canada, I think, will sort it out against Jamaica. Mexico, I think, will sort it out against Honduras. And I hope the U.S. will sort it out against Panama. But there's no guarantees. And I think it. I think one way or another, 
It's going to come down to the final match day, but I still think goal difference is going to keep the U.S. ahead of Costa Rica, should we even lose uh, in San Jose. Yeah, boys, and, you know, before we finish, obviously the U.S. is our heartbeat here. And I'll be honest, while we were talking about it, reminiscing on days past, I was thinking, like, oh, I feel so, so, I don't know what the proper emotion is, but the fact that the World Cup's in November this year, like, I felt nostalgic just thinking about the summer, being like, oh, dude, I remember 2018 when I was doing, I was fundraising for a senior trip, and I was sitting outside, like, by the beach with my iPad connected to some random Wi-Fi, watching it on my iPad, sweating. I remember watching that Pavard hit side netting class remember you know watching us take on ghana you know a team that's always synonymous with the world cup except for 2018 and now 2022 has been italy and yesterday you know obviously Concacaf, we try and keep our finger on the pulse as much as we can in that but that italy versus north macedonia game went to extra time and probably one of the biggest upsets in recent memory especially with you know the world cup on the line Italy falling to North Macedonia 1-0. You know, everyone thought, you know, Portugal, if they take care of business versus Turkey, Italy, if they take care of business versus North Macedonia, those two juggernauts are going to have to face off with the World Cup on the line, and that's going to be a match for the ages. Portugal does their job beating Turkey 3-1. Italy stumbles in a match in which they were dominant, but, you know, always that Italian question of, you know, can they find the goals when they matter most? We thought they'd maybe cured it in Euro 2020, being played in this past summer in 2021. Unable to do so. Italy's out. Portugal versus North Macedonia on Tuesday. Poland also advancing in a non-contest against Russia because of everything that's happening with Russia. And then Wales advancing from some Gareth Bale magic beating Austria. 2-1. to one. They wait on the winner of Scotland versus Ukraine, which is going to be played TBD. I don't know when. And June is what they're planning. So so Wales is going to have to wait for a while to you know, book their ticket to the World Cup or conversely Scotland or Ukraine, the winner of that, whoever takes on Wales in June when they're planning it. But boys, real quick before we conclude, you know, talking all this World Cup stuff, what is the deal with Italy? Because we see them be so dominant in Euro 2020, literally nine months ago, and then they come and lay an egg versus North Macedonia. This really is an all-time choke by the Italians. Okay, so heading into November, that's the last window of normal qualifying. You've got November 12th, 2021, Italy against Switzerland. Italy win, you're in to the World Cup. 1-1 draw. Italy, Northern Ireland, November 15th, last match day, win in your end against Northern Ireland. Jorginho misses a penalty. They don't win. Nil-nil draw. Two draws in the last two match days. Force them into the playoff. Then they get drawn to the group with Portugal. So then you're thinking, oh man, I don't know if they can beat Portugal. This is going to be tough. They can't even beat North Macedonia. And Keenan, you, you talk about how dominant they were in Euro 2020. I, they were dominant in the group stage. Then they won two penalty shootouts. And they bested. They were better than Belgium. I'd say they were the better team than Spain. Probably better than England. But still, they won two penalty shootouts. They, didn't, so they, they were didn't, better in every they game. <laughs> they didn't walk away with the tournament. But what I will say is it's really a stunning sort of transformation. Even if I'll say they weren't dominating in terms of goals, still the team, the structure of the team was very solid. Yeah. When you have Giorgino, Verratti in the midfield, Chiellini, Benucci at the back, John Ruman goal, Insigne on the wing, just a very solid team. 
And, you know, for, I guess you could say they were still solid in these qualifiers. They weren't getting blown apart. It was just, there were no goals. They could not score to save their lives. They had the opportunity with Jorginho and that penalty against Northern Ireland. That's really the one that I think people will forget about as time goes on because of, you know, what happened against North Macedonia. That Tchaikovsky banger from outside the box to win it. But for Italy, two straight World Cups to not making it, but sandwiched between that is, you know, a European Championship victory. It's really just a, a total roller coaster of emotions, the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. But Italy kind of have to self-reflect before their next major competition, which will be the Euros in 2024. Yeah, and and we've mentioned this before, that I'm Italian, so I'm very upset about this. Um yeah, I mean, it's it's so frustrating because I was really looking forward to seeing them being back at the World Cup, defending their European title, you know, coming in with that chip on their shoulder. But for what it's worth, I see, and this is going to sound crazy saying this out loud, I see a lot of similar problems with the U.S. as I see with Italy. And I'm not just talking about goal scoring. I'm talking about specifically in the striker role because Chiro Immobile has been the de facto striker, kind of tenured, since um since like around the 2017 era to now um he's in his early 30s not old by any standards great striker for Lazio in Serie A but he never seems that convincing for Italy he's only had two goals in the qualifiers against some of the weaker sides two goals in the entire Euros I don't think that they they found all the answers I thought like you said Nick the structure of the team was built to win in a tournament really, really well, and they did that. They performed. I thought they were probably the better team in every game except for maybe the Spain game. Um, that one was really toe-to-toe, and I was not convinced by Spain going into that, so I was very surprised. Um, I think Chiellini getting that psychological edge over Jordi Alba on the coin toss was probably the probably what changed the game. Jordi I'm Alba's not, soft. I'm not, even, I'm not even joking about that. Like He just started hugging him like aggressively, and it won uh, them the game. Um yeah, I'm, I don't. I don't think like I'm not blaming Chiro Immobile for everything that happened, but I I do think that it, his situation uh, speaks to a bigger issue that they don't have all the answers that they probably thought they did. They probably thought the 2018 thing was a fluke. They were drawn in a tough group in the 2017 qualifiers with Spain, so it made sense that they finished second. And then they get drawn into the playoff with Sweden, who's a good side, so it makes sense that Sweden sits back and wins over two legs. But this was a one-off game against North Macedonia. At home. And at home, and you can't find a way to score a goal? That sounds like the U.S. to me. I don't know. I, I, I wasn't convinced by watching the team. They had chances. I, I don't think there's like a super big problem to worry about going forward. I just think there's question marks that were never addressed because of the success that they had in the Euro. And I think now going forward, they realize this isn't an isolated event. Yeah, we picked up a major trophy in between two disasters, but there were still two disasters. So they're going to go and reassess, reevaluate, probably going to see a massive shakeup in the national team, way bigger than the one we saw after 2018 because there really wasn't. Like Most of the same players stuck around. But yeah, we still got um, some more exciting Euro games to look forward to in June. Um, as great a story as it would be to see Ukraine go to the World Cup, I would love to see a Scotland-Wales game. That would be awesome. And yeah, Africa matches, I believe, have been going on today or later today. And then South America, we all are all but decided in that fifth place spot. So yeah, I love international soccer. I love World Cup qualifying because it brings in 
just th- this like in essence is every country in the world trying to fight for the World Cup and that's why I love it so much like the fact that I'm still talking about North Macedonia at this point the fact that people are still talking about uh, a country like DR Congo and Mali are going to fight it out to go to the World Cup like that's 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 beautiful to me I love international soccer it brings the world together and I'm just so happy to be talking about it with you two boys on the pod today yeah up the USMNT up the USMNT indeed you know before we wrap, all I'm going to say is I came in super optimistic. Then we switched to Italy. James, you decided to make a parallel between the plight of the Italian national team to the United States national team. Start thinking to myself, God, there's some question marks in that side come Sunday. I mean, Gold Cup, Euros, it's pretty yeah, – it could go either even. way. It's even. Just like the MLS, best league in soccer. That's going to do it for today's show. Big shout-out to Thomas Aiello. He's behind the glass. He's producing. Hopefully he got the recording because yesterday we tried to do it for a preview and it didn't work out. Big game on Sunday, United States versus Panama, 7 o'clock Eastern time. And then they wrap it up on Wednesday. Are we doing score predictions? Yeah, score predictions. Real quick, boys. 2-0 USA. I'm going to go 3-0. 3-1 USA. We're going through. Hopefully we'll be on Wednesday before, before that Costa Rica game. But if we're not, we'll see you sometime next week. Take care, everyone. Have a good week.